This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Alcesser. This year we are exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. We're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the people, places, and topics addressed in Acts by looking at the other writings. Ben, today we're taking that first departure away from the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the book of 1 Peter. In, in Acts, the Apostle Peter has just preached that message that brought thousands of new believers into the faith, and Peter's going to remain a prominent figure in the, in the book of Acts as it continues. So this week, I just want to kind of get inside his mind, like what was going on in, in him, and what did he write about? So we'll take a look, 1 Peter this week, 2 Peter next week. You know, a little, a little context might help, I think. Peter had previously, before writing this, he'd previously, he'd been, he'd been jailed and whipped and, and those kind of things in Jerusalem. And then not long after he writes first and second Peter, he's going to be crucified in Rome. So he'd certainly faced some persecution and things in his life. Therefore, he writes the book known as first Peter to a, to a community of believers who were used to suffering. There were lots of things they were facing and troubles in their lives. And he's writing this, I think, to, to ground them in the faith so that they remember who they are and remember what it's all about. And they, they, keep, a, they keep their eye on the prize in the midst of all the turmoil that's happening all around them. As you think about these, these books of First Peter and Second Peter, in particular First Peter today, we're going to try to cover five chapters of First Peter, by the way, in twenty-five minute podcast. So we'll just hit some highlights. Um, what what comes to you as you think about these writings of Peter? One of the big overarching themes in First Peter is the reality that he's he's writing to a people who are suffering persecution. And he calls them really to root themselves in Christ, to root themselves in the certainty of their eternal standing in Christ, that regardless of the circumstances they're facing, they will live faithfully into Christ's call upon their lives. Um, and so right at the opening where he reminds them of this e- eternal inheritance that that will never perish. He says to them in this, you, you greatly rejoice though. Now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then he makes the, this point. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though, uh, yeah, which perishes, even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed and so he talks about not only uh, God's call upon their life and, and what it means to live faithfully into that, but how the trials themselves, the persecutions they are facing, are, are working themselves out in their life to refine them in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Um, as Peter declares, as we'll see in the, a little bit later, as Peter will declare to them, um, God's call upon them to be holy to be a reflection of Christ in this world. It, it's a little hard for me and probably for, for most of us who are listening to this to, to get inside the minds of those first century Christians. There are certainly places in the world today where that kind of suffering is taking place. 
but it's not Fishers, Indiana. You know, what, what we have here in the, the Midwest or in the United States or in the West, really, I mean, there, there are people who ignore Christianity or who may ridicule us a little bit or, or, or who don't agree with me, but that kind of suffering is, is something that's foreign to me other than what I observe and study and, and read about. The fact that that they kept going, and their their blood, the the shed blood of the martyrs, paved the way for the faith that I have today is is humbling, and it's it it makes me so grateful for their enduring faith. Yeah, and one of the things that stands out to me in the midst of this is that. You know, they they proceed on in the presence of persecution, not begrudgingly, but with a disposition of joy. That doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, suffer griefs, didn't mean that they didn't wrestle uh, through through moments and through times of intense sorrow. Um, And so not not minimizing by any means what they suffered, but they live out this life of joy um, and a life of, of love. Uh, because again, their hearts are so rooted in the certainty of their life in Christ that this uh, eternal uh, certainty they have is reflected in the in the life they live. And so, the idea that you know their life could be taken from them, um, and yet they had this uh, this joy rooted in the certain eternal promise that God had given them. Yeah, one of the things that Peter does is throughout this book, he's reminding them that it's that promise is only in Christ. So let's begin with that and look at Christ's identity. That Folks, we're, we're just going to have to move through different sections that we'll be skipping around in First Peter. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, keep up with us if you can. And we, I want to just take a look at these, uh, first these, these identity of Christ statements that are made. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 19, First Peter 1, 18 to 19, he writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Over in Chapter 2, verse 23, he states, When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And then over in chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. In all three of these places, the, the blood of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ for our sins is lifted up because he was without sin, because he was without blemish or defect. And it was only that 
which brings us to God. No effort on our own. We, we can't purchase it. It's not silver or gold. There's, there's nothing we can do to buy our way to salvation, but it's only in Christ. Why do you think that this was so foundational for Peter as he's laying out this call to, to be faithful to the believers that he's writing to? Again, I think that their life would be uh, intimately rooted uh, in Christ alone. It also carries forward uh, the mission that Christ has given them to, to bear witness. What are they bearing witness to? They're bearing witness to the saving work of Christ, the, the work that Jesus himself uh, spoke about um, when instructing his disciples of, of why it is that he has come. You know, back in, in Mark chapter 10, and, and Peter was a, a huge uh, influence upon Mark's writings, but in Mark uh, chapter 10, Jesus said, uh, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom uh, for many. And we see that theme carried over uh, throughout the pages of First uh, Peter here. That's, that's well said, that it's only in Christ that we can find our salvation. He's the, he's the foundation. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's everything. And Peter remembers that. And he reminds the listener of, of that. As he's doing that, he's also reminding them not just who Christ is, but who they are. I, I think this is really pretty cool. And there's a number of places we're going to see them in the epistles, in the letters, that talk about our identity in Christ. And there's a couple places, at least, in First Peter where he does exactly that. Over in First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That, that, that passage is one of the declarations that I make at every Christian funeral that I do. When I'm at the graveside, I, I quote this because it's a, it's a reminder that we are his and we have an inheritance and that, that inheritance is ours. It's, it's in heaven. And though the, the body may be lowered into the grave, though the elements may be placed somewhere uh, of, the, of the deceased person, if we have faith in Christ, it'll never perish, it'll never spoil, it'll never fade. It's, a, it's an inheritance for us. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty good will to be written into, eh? Yeah, yeah, and a huge encouragement to the, to the churches he's writing to who, again, are facing persecution. Absolutely, because they, they're, they're watching their family members die and the, uh, their, their brothers and sisters in the faith be tortured. And to be given this encouragement is, is powerful. And then he makes a statement, and like this next statement's in chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. It almost makes no sense because from the world's perspective, these Christ followers are nothing. They're, they're being tortured. They're being used as amusement. <laughs> they're just like all kinds of things. And he says these words to them. You 
are a chosen people. I'm in chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What, come, what jumps out at you on this, Ben, as, as a, a phrase that they had to really grab a hold of? I think our identity in Christ conditions, the, the, again, our heart for, for Christ. And it's a constant reminder of who we are in Christ. I know, and, and I've, I've shared this probably before uh, on a former podcast, but one of the issues I wrestled with uh, in coming to faith was I still felt all of this, in essence, shame from my past. I could not seem to escape uh, the sin of my past. Um, and so I, I always had this perception every, every time I sinned, every time, uh, in essence, I, I failed in, in living into the, the life that God would, would want for me or desire for me, I wrestled with this intense shame and guilt and a dear brother in Christ came to me one time and he said, Ben, you know, how do you, how do you think God sees you? And I said, I think God's ashamed of me. Um, I, I don't think God really wants anything, uh, to, to do with me. And, and one of the passages he pointed me to, uh, was this passage. And then there's a parallel passage that, that Paul writes in Colossians that says pretty much the same thing. And he said, you know, Ben, God is not embarrassed of you. Hmm. Instead, God sees you as one of his chosen people, as a part of his royal priesthood, as a, a part of his holy nation, as his special possession. He has cast all of his affections upon you in Christ. You are the, the belo his beloved uh, through Christ. That's how God sees you. And that became part of my daily prayer life was a reminder to myself of how God perceives me. And then in that, seeing the, the spirit, I, I think, nurture my heart toward that end and then compel my life ultimately for Christ so that I would live in essence into that. And my life came to uh, increasingly and has come to increasingly, in essence, reflect who I am already in Christ. This year's podcast on Be On Mission. And it's, it's our church's theme for this year as well. It, it it speaks into what you just said that we're not simply reading the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament to gain information and knowledge about the Bible. There's value in that, but m more so to look at it and say, how does this reflect on my life? And if I am to be on mission, just like the early apostles were on mission. I have to get beyond the, the idea that I'm not worthy, that I don't have value, that I don't have the training, I don't have the skill, I can't do it. And, to, and rather to, to look in the mirror of faith and say, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're, a, you're, a, you're holy. God has made you holy. You're special to God. You're, a, you're the son of God. You're a, you're a daughter of God. You're part of the people of God. And when we begin to see ourselves like that, I think maybe it helps us overcome some of that baggage that we all bring into it and say, I, I, 
I can't do this because either I'm a nobody or I've done so bad in the past or all these, the guilt and the shame and the, the fear and multitude of other things that stand in the way to, to look into that mirror of faith and say, let me claim the identity of Christ for myself. Yeah, and that also keeps us, I think, from bearing up under the false identities of this world. And in yeah. the verse that follows immediately, you know, Peter calls his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls himself, you know, the idea that we're supposed to live as aliens and strangers in this world. And so as our identity becomes more rooted in Christ, we begin to cast off the false identities of this world um, that too often um, we associate ourselves with, or, or too often we utilize as a means of, uh, of uh, care. I don't know if the right word, like characterizing ourselves, or they become the things that condition our hearts rather than Jesus. And so the more my identity becomes rooted in Christ, the more I understand myself through the lens of Christ, the more my life is going to come to reflect that. So if I understand myself as already a part of God's holy nation, so that through faith in Christ, positionally now, God has declared me holy. When I see myself as God characterizes me, as God sees me, then my desire then is to reflect that. Uh, my prayer for myself is that, you know, Father, as you have declared me holy in Christ, as you have clothed me in the righteousness of Christ, may my life come to reflect that. May the Spirit move to refine my heart, to reflect who it is that I am, who it is that you call me to be. Yeah, we talk a lot uh, around here about being both a believer and a follower, and that a believer is someone whose worldview is in alignment with the Word of God, the Son of God, and the the Spirit of God, but a follower is somebody whose lifestyle is in alignment, and it's both are important to have your heart, your, your mind changed by, by him, but also your way of life, your way of thinking, your activity in the world, what you do. In fact, as we transition this, this third and final piece, we've looked at the identity of Christ, the identity of, of us, but now what is our response to all of that, to who Christ is and our identity? And it's in 1 Peter 2.21, it's, it's um, maybe the theme verse for the entire book of First Peter, when it says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We love talking about being a follower of Christ, to follow him, to go where he goes. And Peter says, you want to be a follower? Here's what you're following, Christ's suffering. Be willing to go wherever he takes you. And then there are a number of places, we won't have time to get into all of those, but a number of places throughout First Peter where he says, as these people whose identity has been changed, here's some ways that you're called to live into that in your life and some ways that you're called to, to be the people of God. For example, in First Peter 1, verse 8, he, he says, though you do not, have not seen him, that is Christ, you love him. So we're called to love God, even though we may not be able to see Jesus like they saw him and walked around with him. He's, he's telling these early believers, you didn't see him like I did, but you love him anyway. So we're called to have this, this life of love. And over in chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, I love this. 
Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. I love that phrase. Hope's not a, a fleeting fog, but it's something we can set. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is a a call to holiness to people who are suffering at the hands of neighbors and political leaders and religious leaders all around them. And he's calling them to live this life of holiness in the world. It's not just a, a theoretical thing like, do I believe in Jesus? Have I, have I said a prayer and, and, and said I believe that he died on the cross for me? It's much more than that for Peter. He's calling them to, to literally change the lives of the people around them through love and hope and holiness, even as they are persecuting them. It's pretty, pretty bold statement for him to make, right? Yeah, and in following the example of Christ and speaking to uh, ultimately the moral ethic in which we are supposed to to carry out as a part of revealing God's kingdom ethic, there's the character of the life that comes with it. And you know, one of the one of the verses in uh 1 Peter 2 that really speaks into my heart, especially uh, in the midst of uh, all the dysfunction that we face in this world and what is our response to the things that we see. You know, following up on, on verse 21 in chapter 2, which you shared here a second ago, in verse 23, uh, Peter writes, when they hurled their insults at him, speaking of Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly and then it says, you know, he himself, and this is playing off Isaiah 53, but he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been uh, healed. And so even in, you know, here's a people who are, who are suffering at the hands of the state. And, and Peter is saying, hey, follow the, follow the example of Christ. Um, he didn't retaliate. He didn't hurl insults. He didn't respond in kind. Instead, uh, be aliens and strangers in this world and reflect the holiness of God as you live out this life in this world so that you would be an effective witness for Christ as you call people to believe uh, in Christ. Um, you know, be holy. He says over in, in chapter 4, Verse 13, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What? Rejoice in as much as you participate in suffering? This is what you're, you're mm-hmm. leaning into here the, on a practical level. How, how do we do that? Yeah, it's the joy of being identified with Christ. And I, and I think about how often, you know, we find joy in uh, the different identities that we bear up in, um, especially when those things might might lead to people, in essence, coming at us. And so you think about, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I've, I've made this, this comment before, but 
when I when we drive back home to New Orleans from Indiana, you know, I drive through what is effectively SEC country and I wear my LSU hoodie. It can be 90 degrees outside and I'm still going to wear my LSU hoodie because I love driving through Kentucky or Alabama or Tennessee in that. You ever worried your car's going to break down or something? uh, (laughs) That's always a possibility. And somebody's going to come at me. Um, But that being said, you know, there's that that essence of joy in of being identified with a a team in the presence of hostile territory, right? And the reality is, sadly, how many Christians don't experience joy in a life rooted in Christ, a life identified with Jesus, even in the presence of, of hostility? And uh, I, you know, I think again, all these identities that that we in that we in this world, all these identities rooted in the idolatrous aspects of this world that we find joy in, even in the presence of hostility, and yet the greater joy of being identified with Christ, um, and, and all of a sudden we become really shy about it, or we have a tendency toward shying away from this identity uh that we have uh, in our savior we just need a little holy boldness going on don't we yeah to, to step into the, the world and step into people's lives and risk that they're not going to like it but realize that along the way some some will embrace christ yeah and and our lives can have meaning and purpose even if it has some risk yeah and, and again with an attitude of joy rather than some sort of retaliatory focus you know that I can again I, be joyful, um, reflect the character of Christ, His love, His joy, His gentleness, uh, His goodness, His kindness, um, even in the presence of those moments when we face hostility. Well, well, with that, we'll close with this this verse that you've called us to be a witness. It's in First Peter three, beginning in verse fifteen, where he says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared." to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Our lives should look different because we know Christ. People should see that hope, that twinkle in our eye and say, why are you like this? And we need to be ready to share our testimony, whether it turns out well or not. Well, Peter Peter has much, much more to say in this five-chapter book. We won't have time to deal with all of it, but encourage you to read through it and see what he's saying to the early followers of Christ and how it applies to you and what it means if you want to be on mission with him. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. That'll take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, we'll be jumping into the book of 2 Peter, so get ready for that. Until then, take care.